Alright, very good morning family. Welcome to this 10.30 hour of worship. You know today I will bring uh, the sermon series of Joshua to an end. I sense in my spirit that God is guiding us to a new season as uh, Pastor Colin prophesied earlier. I think God is preparing us to be launched uh, for something to impact uh, the community and perhaps even the city. I sense my spirit, and this is confirmed in several ways, uh, that we are, God is moving us to a new season. Not that our previous season of battling you know, uh, life situations have ended, but truly I think this is confirmed several ways. Besides what Pastor Colin prophesied, uh, some weeks ago during our Wednesday prayer and praise meeting, we also received a message of confirmation through our pastoral team member, Gerald, who oversees the youth ministry. And God calls us to reach out. And then last week, Pastor Lee Kai who looks after the seniors, says, as Methodists, we need to reach out. God also is speaking through Pastor Lee. And then, last, uh, just last Wednesday, when we had our one-day staff silent retreat, our children's pastoral team member, Caroline, received a word from the Lord, Hebrews chapter 4, which is our scripture text for today. And unknown to her, I have been reading this book of Joshua back and forth, back and forth, as I try to sense what the Lord is trying to say to us as a church. And I just somehow couldn't... Settle on any particular chapter or passage until finally she brought up that passage and lo and behold, it clicked in my spirit. I believe God uh, wants to say this to us today. So let me just read this verse, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not, would not have spoken later about another day. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. And so with all this series of confirmation from the children's ministry worker, youth worker, senior ministry, pastor, uh, all of us pastoral team, I think this is truly the time to talk about the closure of the book of Joshua, what rest really entails. All right? uh, actually, I prepared a series of recap from uh, the past sermons, but in the interest of time, I will encourage you to go back to our website and listen to them. So we, the AV crew, please jump uh, to the, a few slides later. You may find uh, the recap of these sermons or the whole sermons on our website. So let me read to us our scripture text for today, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort, strive, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. Come, let us pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Rest upon us. We commit this time into your loving hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now those of you who are sharp will probably think to yourselves, um, if Joshua did not lead the people of God into rest, as Hebrews chapter 4 verse 8 says, how can you be preaching a whole sermon series on that? Isn't it a bit ironic? Well, technically Joshua did lead his people into God's rest. Joshua chapter 21 says this, So the Lord gave Israel all the land that he had sown to their ancestors, and they took possession of it, and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to the ancestors, not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands, not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. 
everyone was fulfilled. So the problem was not with Joshua, nor is the problem with God, because God's promises, every single one of them, were fulfilled. The problem really is what happened in the next generation. Judges chapter 2 records for us these unfortunate events. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. And then Joshua, son of Nun, died. We jump to verse 10. After that, a whole generation, having, after that whole generation having gathered to their ancestors, that is Joshua and the generation of elders who outlived Joshua, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the bows, they forsook God, the Lord of their ancestors, so and so forth. And then Judges chapter 3 makes it even clearer that it is not Joshua's fault. Judges chapter 3 says, These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. God did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. So God, in his grand scheme of things, sees the bigger picture. He says, these people need to learn how to fight too because there will be invasions and so and so forth. And so they were left to learn how to fight war. And verse 4, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they will obey God's commands, which he had given their ancestors through Moses. So in God's grand scheme of things, the nations were not totally driven out so that the Israelites, number one, learn how to fight, and number two, learn how to obey the Lord always. And so the problem, like I said, is not with Joshua, neither is the problem with God. It's not that God did not give his people rest. God did give his people rest, rest on every side. Every one of his promises were fulfilled. The problem then was that the people did not have the rest on the inside. They didn't enthrone God as the center of their lives. They did not obey God's commandments. Someone once preached, Joshua may have brought the people out of Egypt, but he failed to take the Egypt out of the people. <laughs> Actually, that's not very true, because in Gilgal, remember the stone that was rolled away, the reproach of Egypt was rolled away. God declared to his people, now you are a new people, you are a freed people. And Joshua's generation did serve the Lord freely, wholeheartedly, for the entire generation. And so the problem really was with the next generation, a generation who grew up knowing neither God nor what he had done. No personal relationship with God, no testimonies of hearing what God had done for his people. And so church, really this is our great task, our assignment for all of us as the body of Christ, to disciple the next generation. And this is true whether you are a parent or not. We are responsible to keep this Christian faith passing on from one generation to another. If the book of Joshua and Judges, uh, these two books, have any lesson to teach us, it is this. It is insufficient for us ourselves to experience God's rest and victory. Yes, it's good. God is good to us. But we must help the next generation to experience God's rest and victories for themselves. You hear me? It's not enough for us to experience God's rest and victory. We must disciple the next generation to experience God's rest and victories for themselves. And that is why testimonies are so important. Do you make it a point to share testimonies? 
I make it a spiritual discipline of the mind to declare everything good that the Lord has done, to declare His testimonies. And it's not about whether we are parents or not. Take the Alpha course, for example. right? A course where new Christians or seekers can come to know Christ. A testimony there is so powerful. You share what God has done in your life, and new believers or seekers are encouraged. Say, hey, if God is, has done this for you, God is real. God can do this for me too. So testimonies are important. And even in our cell groups, our class meetings, right? Sharing your testimony encourages another believer who may be facing some challenges in his or her life. But when we share our testimonies, we help people to see that God indeed is real. So whether God has healed you or helped you overcome a difficult situation, given you relational or financial breakthrough, testify. Testify of His goodness, of God's glory. Testimonies really disciple people and they stir up the faith. I want to encourage us as a community to do that as much as we can. For your information, I'm trying to set up this media and communications ministry. It's not yet found, but I'm trying to set it up. Hopefully, we get to record testimonies. We get to screen them here, place them on Facebook. But all these uh, risk management issues to think about first. And perhaps, you know, we can see how God is truly at work in our community. We already have these testimonies in our journey magazine. We launch it every three, four months. We record testimonies, but we want to have more of what God is doing in our lives. But suppose some of you think to yourself, I don't have any earth-shaking testimony. Then what should I do? Well, look no further than the Bible. The Bible is full of testimonies. It's a book of records of testimonies of the people of God. And so just reading these testimonies encourages us and encourages our children too, that God indeed is real. Third, like testimonies, teaching others to know God personally is not limited to Christian parenting. Back in my university days, I was involved in Varsity Christian Fellowship, VCF, and one of the things we often said to each other as we took on new responsibility was this, why don't you go and pray about it? Go and pray about it. And again, this is not limited to parents. Cell members, you have a situation, instead of giving human advice, why don't you say, go and pray about it? Is the Lord asking you to change job? Go and pray about it. Is the Lord saying something to you? Go and pray about it. And that's the way we encourage each other to hear from the Lord ourselves. We all can have that relationship with God. And so encourage each other to do that. Whatever issues we face, whether our own lives or our children, we tell them, go and pray about it. My wife, my children, sometimes they don't like me very much because I tell them this, go and pray about it. They come to me for advice. I say, no, let's pray about it. There's no immediate solution, but I want them to also develop their own personal relationship with God even more. And so the problem, like I said, was that not that the people didn't have the rest on the outside. The Israelites didn't have the rest on the inside. They didn't truly believe that God is a sovereign Lord watching over their lives. And because they didn't believe God was over watching their lives, they forgot one important commandment, which is to observe the Sabbath. The fourth commandment, to rest. Imagine, you know, if you're the enemy, you know that every Sabbath, your enemy will rest. That's the best time, right? To attack them. And so they didn't really believe that God would provide them, provide for them and protect them. And so they did not obey this commandment at all. And later on, much later on, as a whole nation, they were exiled because they failed to observe God's commandment to rest in Him. And so as Hebrews chapter 4 acknowledges, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. Therefore, let us make every effort, strive to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. So let us strive to enter God's rest. To guide the next generation to experience God, it has to begin with us, ourselves. As the larger context of Hebrews chapter 4 reminds us, you can read it for yourself. In the interest of time, you read it yourself. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, He rested. This is the pattern that God has set for humanity. Six days of work, one day of rest. And one of the main reasons why we live such hurried lives is because we have failed to appropriate this important commandment to have a Sabbath day of rest the full day of rest. However, this rest should not be understood in a very mechanical manner. Do you know, for example, that elevators in Israel, some of the religious buildings in Israel, they do not operate the elevator on the Sabbath? And this is the reasoning I asked the tour guide. They believe that when they create a closed circuit, right, you connect positive and negative together, you create a closed circuit, you are creating something. Because six days of creation, one day of non-creation. So they took it very literally. You cannot have a closed circuit. You're creating something, therefore they don't operate the elevators on Sabbath. Now that's a very mechanical way of understanding the Sabbath. What we need to understand is the intention behind the Sabbath. Why did God give us this commandment? And Jesus taught us very clearly, the Sabbath was made for men, not men for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath was meant for our benefit. God created this day for our benefit. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And as slaves, they worked non-stop, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They don't get a single day of rest. And so the Sabbath is a very powerful symbol. Hey, we are free people. We can rest because we are no longer slaves. We are children of God. We are people of God. And so for most of you and your families, Sunday is your Sabbath day. That is the day you set aside to honour God, but also to spend time with the people whom you love and care about. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means literally to stop, to desist. And so on Sabbath, we honour God by stopping our regular work. We come to church for worship. It's also important to spend time with your spiritual and biological families. By the way, those of you who work in service line or the medical profession, you need to work on Sundays, that's understandable. But fix another day. The pastors too, we fix another day for our Sabbath rest. The same principles apply, it's just a different day of the week. Other examples, for parents, honouring the Sabbath may mean we intentionally stop putting tuition or other enrichment classes on Sundays. Now, this is not a very popular message, but hear me anyway. Youth and children nowadays are already under a lot of pressure. Seriously, talk to them. They feel the pressure, even before we exert pressure on them. Let's not enslave them with more and more lessons. If you like, I can paraphrase the Sabbath commandment for parents. Six days, you may pack your children's schedule. But on the seventh day, please, let them breathe. Let them rest. Let them enjoy your company the way God intended it to be. Do something different on Sundays. Go out, have fun activities, have a longer lunch. Another example, for those of us who are employers, 
let our employees rest. Don't send them emails on Sundays. They cannot even have a breather. Those who are in managerial positions, right? Let's give our employees a rest. It may not be an exact 24-hour period, but I think we need to honour what God has commanded, and by this, we are discipling the people around us too. Uh, example, another example that I think is relevant for all of us, especially the young people, young adults and youth, honouring the Sabbath may mean we have to intentionally stop doing what we do the other six days of the week, which is use our mobile devices. We use this mobile device a lot. Maybe on the Sabbath day, we decide, hey, let's put it aside. If you think about it, this mobile device has been enslaving us. And not just this, but iPads, our computer screens, our TV screens. These have been enslaving us six days of the week. That's enough. We better put a stop to it and learn to honour, to stop these things and honour God and honour each other. Some of us young people watch Netflix every single day, right? And the Sabbath day then is a, is a good day to take a break from the routine. Get back into the real world. Stop your social media. Get to spend time with people face to face. So the examples and applications are really endless. It's to stop what has been enslaving us, what we've been busy with six days of the week, and on the Sabbath day, we make time for God, for each other, for people whom God cares truly about. So whether it's work, school, or mobile devices, we choose. Do not let these things enslave us. We choose to be master over these things and not let them, let them enslave us. If you think about it, a lot of our societal problems stem from this, this fundamental issue, which is broken relationships. Yeah, work is stressful, parents, uh, we stress over our children's uh, results. But what frustrates us at the end of the day really are our relational woes. When people do not get along with husband and wife, parents and children, our relational woes are something that bug us day and night. And a lot of it is because we didn't spend enough time with each other, listening intently to each other, communicating with each other, and so that's why many of us are restless. And so if we truly see the purpose behind God's intention of the Sabbath, we will see the beauty of it. That we take time to stop what we're doing, put our phones down and talk, communicate, listen, spend time with each other to honour the relationships that truly matter. You know, some of you might ask then, isn't it very ironic? Isn't rest supposed to be restful? Why can't we just rest in Jesus Christ? Why must I strive towards rest? Well, the answer is very simple. Just as there were many battles that Joshua and his generation needed to fight to inherit the promises of God, there are many circumstances in our lives that will threaten our rest. Work emails, family dynamics, a lot of things, right? Threaten this inner peace and rest. And so we need to be very disciplined and intentional to cut off these things to spend time with the Lord. With this phone, I don't know, many of us have a very disturbed Sabbath rest. I, show, I think most of you already understand what I'm talking about. So it's time. Uh, it's time really to honour God, put aside things that enslave us, and honour each other. Just another example. As parents, you know, we tend to give in to FOMO. Hashtag FOMO. What's that? 
fear of missing out. It's very real. I feel it too. Right? Fear of missing out. Oh, my son's classmates have tuition on Sunday. My daughter's friends go swimming training every single day. Oh, I better join in. I better join in. This fear of missing out is very real. And so instead of us being different from the world, we become like the world. And how are we going to shine if we are like the world? Right? We have to be different. To be radically different, we have to obey God's commandments. When major exams come around, for example, I see the attendance drop, both for the parents and the kids. And everyone prioritizes work, study over church. The implicit message that we are sending to ourselves and to our children is this. Think about it. And it's very serious, insidious. Is this. God is not able to take care of your future. You better take care of your own future. Do you know that's the real message that we are sending to our children? God cannot take care of your future. You better take care of your own future. What kind of trust in God is that? No wonder we are restless because we do not trust that God will provide for us and take care of us and our families. Of course, I know it's easier said than done, but it takes a lot of effort, intentional effort, not to give in to FOMO, but to trust in the Lord every step of the way. Studies have shown over and over again the best people in society, the children that grow up the best, are not those with the best results. They are those with a secure identity. This is fundamental. We must understand to bring up the next generation, the security and the identity is so crucial. And that cannot happen without unconditional love, the time that we send together as a family. So the, to recap, the Sabbath is meant first and foremost to honour God. To honour God for who He is. He's our Father. It's our duty as children of God to honour Him. Contrary to what many of us think and expect, going to church is not primarily for the sermon. It's for the worship. And that's why even though just now Pastor Colin, you know, got us into this time of prophecy and just praying, you eat to my sermon time, it's okay. God is more important. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm serious. If the worship can go on forever, I'm very happy. Not that I didn't prepare my sermon. But honouring God is far more important. We need to have this place to honour God. If God desires to do this, we follow. We need to flow with what the Holy Spirit is doing. You know why I love worship so much? Because worship actually frees us. When we sing praises to God, we no longer look at our problems. We look at God. That's why many of us enjoy worship. The presence of God is here. We look away from our problems, look to God to provide and to deliver. It's not easy to serve God. Joshua warn his people, you are not able to serve the Lord, Joshua chapter 24. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after He has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. I hope that's our desire today too, to say, God, I will choose to serve you by obeying your commandment to strive towards that Sabbath rest because there's this ever-ongoing temptation to forsake God, to neglect our loved ones. Incidentally, that's why John Wesley got the Methodists from revival meetings into class meetings because he believed that it's not once safe, always safe. It cannot be. It's against the whole grain of Scripture. 
He held that the early Methodists needed to keep watch over one another so that no one falls away from the grace of God, so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. So let us do this together. None of us can stay on this narrow path of salvation together. We do this together as the family of God. It takes all of us to help each of us to enter that rest. It takes all of us to help each other to enter that rest. And I just want to conclude by reminding us that the rest God provides is the best rest ever. The peace knowing that no matter what the future may hold, God will take care of things. And that is why Pastor Cordy is right. We must dare to release our children to God. They don't belong to us in the first place. They belong to God. And we encourage our children, you pray about it. Do you want to do, what do you want to do with your school holidays? Why don't you pray about it? Rather than just decide between you and me. Let's pray about it. Let's see what the Lord is saying to us. Jesus will invite us very soon to the communion table. And he says a very famous verse, we like it very much. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We like it very much, right? Or we forget that means you need to be next to Jesus. Yoke to Jesus. Walking in step with Jesus. You can't expect to walk your own way and expect God to give you that rest. You come to Him, not He coming to us. We come to Him and He will give us that rest. So this Sabbath day, let us strive, and not just this Sabbath day, but every subsequent Sabbath day, let us strive to enter into God's rest. Stop what we usually do and guard our time jealously. Put down our mobile devices, switch off the TV, spend time with each other, have meals together. First, honour God through worship, then spend time with Christian friends, loved ones, people we care about. That's not easy, but with God's help, we can do it. And let us be a radically different community so that the world can say, hey, these people are different. Why are they not restless, worried? Because we have the abiding peace of God in our lives. Every Sunday, we honour God by keeping that Sabbath. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for not trusting you. Teach us afresh, Holy Spirit. Give us that divine rest so that the rest in our hearts may overflow into our lives so that our families, our colleagues, our friends in school, our army friends, our two mates, they can see that, hey, we are different because we are the people of God, the rested people of God. And Lord Jesus, as you invite us to your table later on, we pray that truly you will encounter us, fill us afresh with that spiritual rest and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.